Today's episode of Shootcast is brought to you by Modus Operandi Brewing. Based in Monavale on Sydney's northern beaches, they're one of Australia's best craft brewers. I've been enjoying the Modus Pale Ale, a terrific beer, helping me get through these difficult COVID times with no Shoot Shield rugby. But thankfully, that's uh, on the way out. We're heading into the season, July 25's kickoff, and I know I'll be enjoying Modus at the rugby. So thanks to Modus for their support. Get online and get your order in. Today on the podcast, we'll be talking with Darren Coleman, DC, about all things that are happening over at Chatswood. After Darren's first year at the club in 2019, and obviously how they're shaping up under difficult circumstances with this year ahead in 2020. Be also great to talk to Darren about some of his experiences in the past, obviously some terrific years at Raringa, and some of his thoughts and experiences in and around the game. I know this is going to be a great listen. Thanks everyone for tuning in. This is Shootcast. Welcome to episode three of Shootcast. On the line, I've got Gordon head coach Darren Coleman. Darren, thanks for joining the show. Hey, Bojo. Pleasure to be on. Mate, thanks for joining me. Um, I just want to start off with uh, how things are travelling over at Gordon, given a uh, lot of recent world events and uh, sort of yeah, so, sort of where the headspace is at for the club right now. Yeah, it's a, it's a crazy time for everyone, isn't it? It's... Um... Mm. Yeah, the momentum went out of the out of the sales there pretty quick after the yeah the, the, uh, a good preseason build up, one trial, everyone's starting to get excited, and then you you brought this pandemic on us all and um, slowed everyone up. But there's a bit of light at the end of the tunnel now. It's uh, I noticed a bit more spark in the lads on the chat groups, and, and with a, with a bit of luck, we could be back into some activity next weekend in small uh, next week in small groups. So. Um, yeah, it's been hard, hard on the club, hard on every club, and with no revenue streams, it's um, yeah, it's tricky. It's a yeah, first time for me, obviously. Going, everyone going through something like this. Yeah, no, it definitely is difficult. So you still blame me for COVID? I mean, I just just warned you, didn't I? This thing was coming, and, and you're Mate, still holding me me to account for this. Well, I don't blame you for the international pandemic, but. Pretty much bringing it into Shoot Shield, I, I rest on you. You were the first person that broke the story. You said it had killed Shoot Shield footy, and um, it did. So, yeah, that part of it is definitely on your head. Okay, it's fair enough. No, <laughs> I, I was just watching what was happening in Europe, mate. I was watching my beloved Premier League, and that was getting shut down. And, I, you know, this, this thing was coming, mate. It's it's not me. It's a Wuhan laboratory. I think the world knows that. So, uh, mate, mate, all good. But, um First year at the Stags last year, after a couple of um, huge years at Ringer, uh, you've, you've taken the team from 11th spot to uh, seventh in 2019. Obviously, um, how was your first sort of sort of year at the helm? And and obviously, you'd improved the team, but uh, somewhat had a bit of an inconsistent season. Your reflections on on 2019, your first year at Gordon? Yeah, it was a good it was a, it was a good experience. Like I, I think one of the biggest things out of all 40 is a. Uh, the friendships you make and, yeah, obviously a new club for me and I'd like to think, yeah, I've got a, a few new people now I call good friends and, and a lot of other rugby friends as such. So that part is always important to me and um, so that was awesome. Um, yeah, we had a great year. I really enjoyed it. It was um, results-wise, obviously you look at it and so we had became seventh. That It doesn't read that great, but from where we were and 
we were effectively one one after the Bell Jack Grant try from from getting into the playoffs uh, in the second last mm. round and um, club for the club to finish second in the club championship. I, I was I, a, I was really proud of it, but B it was an amazing effort from the club from where they were the year before and and um, yeah, I'll look back on that as one of my it's one of my most enjoyable and, and fulfilling seasons. It was good fun. Yeah, it's a terrific result coming second in the club championships. I mean, um, no easy job that is, particularly from sort of where, where the club was. When you when you took on the job um, as head coach, did you sort of look at this as sort of two year, three year project? Is that how you sort of look at things, or, or you know, obviously there's going to be work to do year one, and and do you, do you look to really go hard the second year, or you, or there's no such thing as building, just go for it, go for broke every year. How do you sort of approach these sort of projects, so to speak? Yeah, it's it's a funny one that I. I always, I've generally sort of worked in two years sort of contracts for the most part, and mm. I've always seen coaches. It's very coach speak to say it's a three year plan. It's just you're buying yourself three years of employment, really. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, I just go for it flat out. I, I don't think you'd limit yourself in that first year. Like if, yeah, we were coming from a long way back, but we we did some good recruitment and. We had a, a group in the end that was good enough to make the playoffs. We didn't quite get there. Um, you'd like to think that makes the second year a better place to launch from. Um, yep. And But, yeah, the club, um, I guess I, I did my, my due diligence on where I was going and there was a lot of good work done before I got there. The club had had an outstanding couple of years in Colts, so mm-hmm. you'd know that there's some good young talent coming through. Um what attracted me to the place was the president, to be honest. Like I had some really positive meetings with him in the lead up and and I've always felt that as a coach you can only go so far. It's all dependent on the board and the, and the leaders and, and how far they're going to allow you to go. And um, Matt Glascott, who's the current president, he's an ambitious guy. He's a winner in business. He's a winner in life. And he, uh, I got swept up in that and, I, and um, that was why I went there and, and um, so far, it's it's proved well. It's proved profitable. Yeah, no, certainly um, from the outside looking in, looks like there is a lot of synergy between you yourself and and people like Matt. Obviously, Gordon's a uh, it's a grand old club. It's had uh, some incredible success in the past, and uh, it's you know for, for one reason or another sort of not been the powerhouse it was sort of the eighties and nineties. Um, it's obviously had huge uh, change in its uh, demographic. Um, and it's sort of um, it's it's. Do you feel that history though in the place and the desire to to get better and, and bring the club to where it was? Definitely a lot of tradition and, and history in the club. And one of the first things I did as a, as a our fogs, which is a friends of Gordon, they're a great old boys sort of network of the club. And there's a man on there named Pete Sherwood who runs that, and he gave me a book, which was the first fifty years of Gordon rugby. And I, I read that and the. In the first sort of two weeks, I was in the job. It was my nighttime reading, and um, yeah, that hit home. Like it was, um, you got to have a respect and an appreciation of who's gone before you and and all they did. And they were a powerhouse. And and I remember as a player, I, I had a, a, a sort of period there when I was playing at Norse and Gordon were a powerhouse. It was the '98 Grand Final and had some amazing players and a lot of them actually have come back now guys like Tony Dempsey, Phil Scar, Brett O'Neill they're all uh, they're all part of our lower grade coaching staff so although yeah I, I'm, I'm, I'm proud of my contribution it was a it was a really genuinely a team effort and getting those 
guys, there's certain people you think are just genuine winners and they'd been mm. winners right through their career for the Gordon and my, it was important for me to get those blokes back and although they may have been out of the game for a while and potentially technically a bit to catch up on, they, they were just genuine winners and, and, and good people and they were massive in, in how we turned things around at the club. And, and now guys I'd call friends and um, they're just good Gordon men. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I do recall when the um, Gordon uh, coaching announcements came out through the grades and seeing some of the uh, big names have been a part of the club for such a long time. So it's obviously a very strategic thing of yourselves that you, you adopt to bring in that sort of um, synergy throughout the club for, uh, from its history. Is it something that you look to do through the grades to try and build that culture again? Yeah, obviously the, the people that you want to get in, they've got to have the time and the passion to want to put in it. I'm from, I guess... Uh, Humble beginnings. I, I I think one of the reasons I do okay at Shoot Shield is because I understand volunteerism. I'm from a my dad was we were surf club members where you in a small country village where you um you carry the surf boat down, you carry the tent down, you row it, you compete, you pack it all up, and and you do all those sort of things. So as much as I I like the elitism of sport and and the elite performance level. I liked it. It's important to get that balance of it's effectively a, a mixing mixing pot of semi-professionals and, and amateur volunteers. And if you can get that that mix right, I, I think it's key. And um, so yeah, th- those guys are big parts of it. They're, they're genuinely passionate about the club um, and they want to mm-hmm. see the club do well. And no one liked to see where the club was. What was it two eighteen? I think was was uh, yeah and. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no one liked to see Gordon where they were, and and I love those sort of mm-hmm. challenges. I wanted to be a part of turning it around. Yeah, absolutely, and and obviously you had some success last year. Obviously, winning the third grade um, premiership and uh, second grade went pretty deep as well. So, uh, um, and obviously you you cult, so it's it's looking strong. Do you think sort of? Um, through the lower grades, you're seeing some of the emergence, some of these cults players that that may be pushing towards first grade in the future. Yeah, definitely. We got a good batch. We uh, the year I got there, I sort of have a bit of a theory on on how many top end players your Colts program's got to produce each year. The tricky thing with Shoot Shield, it's not a perfect science of succession planning. Things get in the way, like like life and work and family, and, and people get players get derailed from the, the number one calling in life, which is football. But um, they, uh, yeah, no, we got six out of that. Just trying to get the years right. So out of the 218 uh, Colts team that made the grand final the year, they made all three grades. And big kudos to Dave Telfer. He, he engineered that program. He took that program over four years ago where they couldn't field one team to the mm-hmm. next year, to the next year having all three te- – oh, sorry, four years later having all three teams in the grand final. That was amazing. We got six kids out of that batch that – came into our top 25, 30, and, um, yeah, that, that was amazing, you, you know, that they're going to go on and not only be good players but be, be club guys because they've, they've come through the Colts and it's it's hard to shift them when, when opportunity doesn't present or other clubs are enticing and there's there's just genuine loyalty and, and um, commitment and that they've built over years of, of coming through Colts. So exciting young players and... Um, I really hope a lot of them were our. They were the nucleus of our second grade team in two nineteen that um, won the minor premiership and, and and choked a bit actually in the playoffs and probably a bit of that. They led twenty points at, at mm-hmm. Kudja Oval against East in a semi twenty five points actually and got run down and. 
probably a bit of that was because six of them were 21-year-old Colts graduates and and needed a bit more uh, nous and games game management. But yeah, it's it's exciting times and and as I said, full credit to Dave and the club on how they built that from the bottom up. Is that is that the balance you need? You're still looking towards that that local nucleus that's sort of um, been in the club for a period, and then hopefully they're getting to that first grade space, and you've got a good batch of them. And then obviously can't ignore recruitment at the first grade space. So I guess you, the, the ideal world is you've got enough talented uh, locals coming through the system to top up with recruits. But um, I guess that's n- not always the case uh, to to stay competitive. Is it's a fine balance? Yeah, again, it's not a perfect science because you. As I said, I, I, I have a theory that if every year your Colts program can pump out five players into your top 30, yep. Yep. over five years, 25 years, by rights, 25 year top 30 should be Colts. But players leave uh, for different reasons. Some push straight through the top end of the club and go on and become professionals. Um, so, yeah, you got to top up. We wanted – there was no, obviously no – Secret, we were aggressive in recruitment. We brought in a, a lot of new players into Gordon from uh, 218 to 219, and that was because we wanted instant success. We wanted to, we knew we had the base. We knew those, as long as we had a good football program, those Colts kids are going to stick around for years to come and become the fabric and become the core of the club. But we needed to get instant credibility at the top end so that they would stay and they weren't getting bashed or beaten easily. And so, yeah, you'd like to think, well, has this year we, we recruited less than we did the year before and the next year after that you'd probably recruit less. You're always going to have to recruit in shoot shield, but um, you want to keep those numbers manageable. So how, how are Gordon looking 2020? Obviously it's, it's difficult to tell. How were you looking and how are you looking now for the, you know, the abbreviated season? We all hope it's going to kick off around 25 July. Yeah, it's been a moving feast. Yeah, we had... Um, we felt we had the base of a, of a roster to to do really well, and we'd added a few strategic recruits. Um, unfortunately, a few of them have had to return home. So, um, mm. yeah, that that's whether we get them back at the moment is looking unlikely. A combination of of obviously no income streams for the club to bring them back and sort their flights out or whatever it may be. We just paid to to get them over once. <laughs> we can't probably do it again. And um, <laughs> Um, so yeah, that that's been a bit of a a hit, but we'll adapt. We were we were we were strong anyway, and it's funny though. You, you see, um, although there's a few guys we brought in that have gone home, there's also been a couple of people returned to Australia that are Gordon guys that we wouldn't have expected to have this season. So yeah, like I, I think we'll be yeah we'll be definitely be competitive and and making playoffs and and doing well is high on our agenda, but. Um, yeah, it's been um, it's been a moving feast to uh, to put it mildly. Yeah, no, it must be a very uh, difficult and stressful time the past few months for for all the head coaches across the competition. Um, you brought in a very high caliber assistant uh, this season, and Brian Melrose. How's uh, your interactions with Billy thus far been? Big Billy, he's the uh, the the nutty professor of rugby. He is. He's a, he's a good man, Billy. Uh, Billy and my's relationship goes back many years. When I was playing, Billy was Billy was still playing, and I always respected. Um, not too dissimilar to me, he's he's been in a lot of different clubs, and um, he's genuinely he genuinely cares about rugby and club rugby. And he's one of those guys. He's just 
I don't know how many consecutive years of shoot shield he's done, but as a player and coach, but he's he's born to be a coach and whether he's paid one cent, one million dollars, he'd still be he's one of those guys that's just passionate about rugby and lives it and breathes it and could talk the years off the world off anyone on uh, on rugby and he's good um, at that. yeah he <laughs> loves a chat and um but it's good i i brought someone in to challenge me to 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 put a little bit of cream on our program i've been coaching six years in this thing in, in the shoot shield and I, and i thought it'd be a good time to have someone that was even more experienced than me to to challenge the way i do things and and we do and he does and we um we, we get there. Obviously, we have our discussions and our disagreements and our, our, our what's the word, uh, different ways to skin the cat. But in the end, he's always really, so far, and it's been great. He's really respectful. He puts his puts his uh, opinions forward. We, we mull them over, and I choose a direction, and, and we go that way, and he supports it. So, um, unfortunately, we just didn't – we haven't got to the point yet where we can't – I think his genius and his strong point is – is some of his uh, creative thinking around the game and the actual on-field aspects of the game, and we didn't get to that yet. We we got to build a base as a team, and we're building that. Yeah. And then he'll hopefully he'll have a bit of creative flair on top of that as we go. Absolutely, it's it's just going to be such a funny period that first sort of four weeks of the competition. If we get going, it's um obviously got a cram preseason. I mean. Are you expecting some some dour mistake riddled matches to start the season? Hoping it warms up pretty quick, or are you pretty confident to get the troops uh, up to speed? Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I I sort of disagree at times with uh, people saying that. Like I, footy's footy. Like I'm confident that our guys are, are, are training hard at the moment by themselves. They they could be they could be lying to me, but I, I believe they are and. I think I read, I heard it on an NRL thing the other day. Like the first three or four weeks of the competition, um, that's when you can have the most effect. Like if you back your program and you back your coaching and you back your ability to get a bunch of guys on the on the one page super quick and uh, and uniformed, you can you can get a jump. So um, yeah, guys will need match fitness. That that's one thing, but. Yeah, I won't, I, I won't be making any excuses if our, our team loses because the other coach and the other programs got themselves to the start line in better in better nick and better organised than I have. Mm, absolutely. And there's a chance that we may see a new team in the competition. One such team is uh, a team out of Newcastle where you've obviously got a lot of uh, past history and it would seem that um, none other than your brother may be a head coach if Newcastle were to get into the uh, competition. How, how would you feel about that? Mate, I've been bashing him around the backyard for 40 years. I'll, I'll look forward to doing it again on a big <laughs> stage. <laughs> That's uh, awesome. It's, he's, uh, yeah, no, obviously he's my brother and my best mate. So he's he's done his time. He's um, he's super excited to get that team in the comp. He's, he, we moved there pretty much from our little village of South West Rocks. We, I went down to Newcastle first and he came down a few years after me and he, he played the wildfires and then he got – he got entrenched there in the Hamilton Rugby Club and he's done amazing things with them. I think he's won eight premierships in 11 years and he's won mm. five in a row now and dabbled in and out of the rep team and uh, of the Newcastle rep team and now it seems like they're getting genuine momentum to put that rep team into our our abbreviated shoot shield and 
to me, it makes complete sense if we, we can get rid of the bye and, and they'll be competitive and um, and he's a good young coach that'll that'll get them fired up and he I, I'm excited. I reckon um, my mum and my brother brothers, they'll come to that game and uh, should be, uh, be on. There's a terrific family synergy there. But, um, yeah, you're right, just about Newcastle. It seems like there's a pretty thriving rugby community with, with lots of clubs. And Shoot Shield's obviously seen quite a number of coaches um, end up in our competition. So you, you're, you're thinking it's obviously a good thing for the area to have that aspirational grade. I know there's some um, concern with the clubs itself that may weaken their competition, obviously. But, um, you know, you've got to think that it, it's going to offer kids in the, the Newcastle Hunter region that pathway to, to uh, more professional football. Yeah, I definitely don't confess to to be an expert on what's the best step for them as a mm. as an as, a, as an organisation. I, I was there in, uh, geez, I think it was ninety five to ninety eight when the wildfires first came into the comp, and first year or two it was awesome. Plenty of town support, rugby support. What I felt by the third year, and it sort of continued to drop, was then. Players realise like it was a long season. It was a twenty-game season. That's ten trips to Sydney. Um, we, did, we were only winning on average five out of twenty games a year in those first two years, and uh, the novelty wore off a little bit. Um, whether it's a long-term answer, I, I don't know that. What effect it has on a local comp it has its pros and cons. But I think for the situation we're in right now, for a twelve, thirteen-week comp where their comps in a a bit of tatters at the moment. They're, they're stressing about no crowds and will the smaller Newcastle clubs be able to afford to keep it in? He's got a – Bubba's got a bunch of boys up there that just done a, a pretty decent pre-season. They played some some games against the Western Force. They're all um, they're all excited. So I think for this year in, a, in isolation, it's it's a perfect little fit. And then, then they can assess all that and make a more informed decision whether it's something long-term as can the shoot shield as to whether they want them in long term. But for the for this year, I reckon let them in, let them play. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm on board with that too. Um, you, correct me if I'm wrong. You've played for Norse, East and Newcastle in the shoot shield. You've coached also at Norse, East, <laughs> Pen- Penrith, Ringa and Gordon. Who's left? Uni. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I noticed Rob's just left uni, so I might um, see if <laughs> going there. No, um, East was a very small stint. East was my first stint as a player out of university, came down from Lismore Uni, and I got a new job actually with the, with the New South Wales rugby up in Newcastle, so I didn't get to play that long. Then did my three years in Newey and then got another job with the, with the, with the actual Waratah team down in Sydney, so came down and, and played with Norse. But, um, yeah, I guess I always considered originally Norse as my club. I had three years there, then I went back and coached them for two, and that was where I had a lot of my friendships and my, my, my main sort of thing. But, yeah, I guess in my profession, if you want to call it that, it's, yeah, things change. And, yeah, I, I'd like to think by nature I'm a loyal person. I probably don't get loyal to a badge. I get loyal to the people that are wearing that badge. And, mm-hmm. um yeah, and, and I'm loyal to my players, and it's um, yeah. Sometimes it's different reasons why I've why I've moved. Um, there's been an occasion in shoot show I've been moved on, so it wasn't entirely my fault. Um, but I've had a crack at most. There's a few. I'd, I always had one of my greatest experiences was the Penrith one. That was my first ever shoot shield coaching gig. I'd come back from 
six years overseas, I think, and in 2005 I took over Penrith. I was only, I was 30, 31 at the time, and mm-hmm. they hadn't won a game in two years, and we won six that year, and it's still to today one of my greatest experiences we had. Yeah, we just had a great vibe, a great bunch of guys that were just really enjoying their rugby, and and um, yeah, I'm lucky. People go, well, you change, or you've been involved with that many clubs, you may not, you maybe not be a loyal person, or you, how can you really entrench yourself? I look at it the other way. I've I've got a bunch mm-hmm. more friends and friendships out of footy because I, I move around a bit, and I'd like to think in most parts my rats friends are still my mates and. Uh, my East friends before that and, and my Norse friends. So I'd like to think it, it means you get more mates, not 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 less. Yeah, absolutely. You, you have an incredible um, network in rugby. You, you've, you started coaching quite early and even even dabbled a bit of player coaching. Um, obviously, your brother's a coach. Is it something that's um, sort of spawned in the family or is it something that you sort of always w- w- always saw yourself being a coach? Is something something there that the Coleman's are uh, – Deeply entrenched in coaching? Very much so. Yeah, no, that's very much so. I've got two other brothers under Bubba and they've both been Bush Rugby League captain coaches and, and coaches for as long as I can remember. It all came from my dad. My dad was uh, was an old uh, leaguey with the Penrith Panthers in the 70s and he went Bush in 79 and, and uh, captain coached at places like Canoundra, Kempsey, Bathurst. So from when I've been five years old on, I've been in, in footy change rooms. He was a, a rugby league bush captain coach and I'd be taking his boots off when he'd be finishing up his game. I'd be singing team songs. I'd be sneaking a, a beer or a pie or whatever I could get in a, an old bush footy change room. And we settled in a little place called Southwest Rocks where he became the club captain of the surf club and he was a cricket coach. He was a swimming coach. He was—he had no idea about some of those sports, but he'd have a crack. <laughs> and um, and we just, yeah, we just loved our sport. We would four brothers. We'd just play sport every day of the week if we could in all different sports. And then, yeah, I, as I got towards the end of school, all I wanted to do was was stay in sport. I did sports science at uni and had a few injuries in those early years at, at university. And I think I was twenty. And I coached our university under 19s, and uh, mm-hmm. so I've always, always had a, uh, yeah, just a, I love it. I couldn't, uh, and it's yeah, genuinely all off, all off my dad, and, and my brothers have all followed that suit. Yeah, that's a that's a great insight, and obviously a family that's well entrenched in uh, community sport and, and a huge contributor um, at all levels. So that, yeah, that's that's awesome. You've um you've also followed um, rugby opportunities across the globe. You've had time in Italy and, and Canada. Some of those experiences are obviously quite fond of, and um, I'm sure you see the opportunity to take what rugby presents uh, when it does. Mate, a hundred percent. Yeah, I couldn't um from from a buffet leaguey from. From Southwest Rocks to to get to coach in in a village in Italy to a, a corporation like Toyota in Japan to, to to Canadian rugby it's yeah I'm I'm so thankful that's all sort of worked out and, and just had some of the most amazing experiences made made just amazing relationships and friendships I even speak Italian now <laughs> fluently and got a little bit of Japanese in the kit and and um, yeah, I'm just so, I'm just so lucky that, that it all sort of worked out that way. Had some uh, 
some really funny experiences of lobbing up in Italy as a 28-year-old player coach uh, at a second division Italian club and lobbed onto the field and didn't have a word of Italian and I figured out pretty quick I'd, I needed to set up whiteboards around the field to, to try and to try and uh, draw up what I was trying to explain and yeah, <laughs> you, you get resourceful and uh, but yeah, amazing experiences. I was very lucky. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So you've you've basically had experience um, in in Australian rugby at all. That was you've sort of come through community rugby into uh, Shoot Shield Premier Rugby, and you've obviously had some Super Rugby experience. Uh, you still long term coaching's the sole focus for for you, and obviously hoping that opportunities and higher honours are uh, you know keep coming if if performances keep keep showing themselves. Yeah, definitely. I think like anyone, you like any player, like any competitor, you wanna you wanna you want win, but you wanna win at the highest level. So um, yeah, I'll uh, I'll keep put my name forward if if jobs I, I think I can do, I'll I'll have a crack at. Um, mm. I yeah, I like I've liked all facets of it. I I really in, enjoy like the the elite end of. I was probably I had no idea what I was doing. I was a 26 year old assistant coach with the Waratahs when I was playing at Norse and that mm. was when the, the Speed Kennedy was the coach and Matt Williams, they were the coaches above me and, um, yeah, I, I, as I said, I had no idea what I was doing but I, I gave it a crack and then to be involved in in the Brumbies organisation, that was amazing. There was one year there we had a team of Matt Gitto, Rocky Elsom, Sterling Mortlock. It was a it was a real Madrid of, of rugby and, and – uh, so yeah, I enjoyed that, but just as equally as well have I, as I said, I enjoyed equally as well coaching Penrith the six wins in two thousand and five as I did being at Loftus Versefield in front of eighty thousand there. Yes, you like early on. I liked the the adulation and potentially the the materialistic things of being in a Super Rugby program, but. As you dig a little deeper, my theory now is if every day I can wake up and my job is to go and coach a footy team and that footy team is keen and motivated, regardless of how much money they're making or I'm making, that, that's a dream job for me. So I'll um, I'll keep swinging at that. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's certainly all relative, isn't it? Um, I have to ask, uh, you had a couple of wonderful years up at Ringer. Um you must look back upon 2017 and even 2018 with uh, with some with some some great memories. Yeah, that that 2017, it's I, I get emotional thinking about it all the time. It was uh, yeah, it was just amazing. Like everything from the club and and where they were to um, how it all sort of unfolded. Obviously, it. Um, yeah, it was just amazing. It was an and it was a fitting end, to be honest. It was just um, I remember when the whistle, the final whistle, went up top there because it was a game that was right in the balance, and the leader changed hands a few times, and we got there at the end when Hamish kicked that last ball out, and mm-hmm. just sat and sit up in that tower there in North Sydney and and watched that. I I often talk about. Uh, with my teams around there, Nirvana, what's your Nirvana in sport and, and sort of players? It could be a that match-winning drop goal or it could be their trademark sidestep or what's your point in the game, the part of the game that you love the most, the single most action. And for me now, it's become that part where 
grown men lose control of their emotions and they're 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 jumping around they're hugging they're they're just completely caught up in the ecstasy of a win and i love watching that i used to be a part of it in the middle of it now i sort of i sit back a bit more and and watch it and if i've got guys that are just uncontrollably emotive around something they've worked hard for and and that was the crescendo of that that was just unbridled passion and emotion all spilling out in once it'll it's going to be hard to top that that moment yeah it um it was an amazing season 2017 i was obviously entrenched in it um from a a manly perspective which is always uh, interesting when ringers having such a huge year always never far away from uh, what's going on up there and i actually interviewed you to head coach manly at the end of 2016 did i not and didn't pick me, so I ended up at the Rats. <laughs> uh, dude, I, I, remember the, I remember the interview well. I remember it well. But it did feel, uh, you could say, it looked like a deal was basically done before you, uh, by the time you'd interviewed. And I actually thought it might have been Ramwick. But uh, no, it was Ringer and the, and the rest is history, as they say. Yeah, there's, there's always sliding doors moments in, in anything in sport. And uh, yeah, it was... Uh, as I said, I'd, I'd just been moved on, actually, from my position before. So I was well, mm. your confidence of taking a hint, your tail's between your legs, and yeah. and to, to fall into that group of players that they were just primed. They, they were they were ready. They just needed a little bit of cream on top uh, in a few different aspects, and they were ready to win a premiership, that group, for sure. Once, obviously, once Lockie's passing, you just genuinely felt there was a higher power. We, 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 I don't think we may have lost one game, I think, after that, but yeah, there was. But again, I get, I've never really contrived to do it. And earlier in the, in the chat, I, I wouldn't have used it as an excuse, but potentially it took a bunch of guys that had been such a free spirited team, like Joshy Holmes doing whatever the hell he wanted, and, and guys sort of playing real off the cuff. They're really a spontaneous team and I tried to put a little bit more structure in that. So any sort of change in technique or any change in system, you're going to get a drop in performance early. But I think what, what it made the team in the end was was a little more consistent and then you, you, time, you combine that consistency with – with with the higher power they had, it was it was pretty dangerous. And then you throw in the the spontaneity of Josh Holmes, Harry Jones, who had an amazing year that year, and and um, they were the one or two little cheap tries that you're not meant to get that you get that put that turn those tight games into wins. Yeah, it's um you're definitely right about that higher power stuff, even from the outside looking in and we obviously had to play you guys in the semis there and uh, you could just feel it in the crowd. It was it was something more and uh, it was just, just bound to be and it was obviously, um, yeah, pretty pretty incredible year. But um, you obviously went again in 2018 and made the grand final and obviously not the, the day you wanted but um, the team that beat you now seemingly looking like uh, a real powerhouse in the competition again, aren't they, Sydney Uni? Yeah, good good program. I, I I try and do all my shoot shield coaching around Sydney Uni. Like yeah. I have no aspiration to coach Sydney Uni, but I love I respect and, and love what they do as a footy club and yeah. I gear everything to it. If I I'll say to my boys, if they're running a four forty yo yo, that's what we gotta chase. If they're they're training three nights a week, we gotta train four. Like they're they're the benchmark and have been the benchmark uh, for so long that 
I want to, I want to, my, I want my teams to catch that and, and aspire to that. And um, yeah, no, that that 2018 day, that, I felt so sorry for my boys there. They we got bashed at every every turn and outcoached and and outplayed and and uh, we talked it up to like I I remember <laughs> I remember saying in the week lead up they can have 15 wallabies we're still going to smash these blokes and. And geez, we copped the hide. Um, yeah, I do, so, uh, do remember that at the time. That's, that's footy. Man. Yeah, that's that's footy. Uh, you could tell pretty early in that game that Uni really had their tails up for that one and proved the point. But you know, making a grand finals, no no small feat. I, I guess that counts. We were actually a um, we're a better team in 2018. Our, our regular season stats and performances were mm. way better. Like we. Wow. We were just actually a, we were a better football team. We we're more consistent. Our our system stuff was was I just had another year under it. Like I remember starting the preseason in two eighteen, and we launched like five percent behind how we finished two seventeen. It was just such so, and we we hit the ground run and we played a club championship game against UQ and smoked them pretty comfortably and went on a big run early. It was um we were actually a better football team in twenty eighteen. We just met a an amazing team in that grand final. Yeah, they uh, very very good side and obviously very well coached. Obviously, be coached by somebody new soon. Obviously, with um, Taylor moving up to uh, the UK. Talking of coaching opportunities, just before you took the Gordon gig, there was widely rumoured that you may have coached a Western Sydney team commandeered by Twiggy Forest. Any truth to that sort of rumour? Yeah, there's a bit going on there, and that's probably one of the reasons that. It opened the door for Gordon. Yeah, I I wanted to. I, I held, like I still do, hold aspirations to to coach a, a profession in a professional league and a and a professional team. And and um, a sniff came up in that Twiggy was trying to get that comp together. There was a guy named Adam Gilchrist, the owner of F Forty Five, was putting a team together based out of Western Sydney. I uh, we'd had some conversations. I was going to go there. And it, it sort of fell over at the last minute. I, I think I'm not sure of the detail, but the team didn't get sanctioned by Rugby Australia or the Waratahs to kick off. Um, the comp got pushed back a year anyway, and it sort of I'd, I'd told the Rats I was moving on, and Gordon had sort of come in, and again another sort of sliding doors moment. It sort of one thing led to another, but yeah, there was a bit of truth to it. It, it didn't eventuate, but um, mm-hmm. I definitely looked at it. Absolutely, absolutely. As a coach, um, you obviously follow other sports. You, you're probably a rugby league fan and things like that. Do, do you look to other sports for motivation and ideas and, and coaching philosophies? What, what sort of um, sports do you follow? Yeah, I'm a big autobiography reader. I, I like I like sports stories and, and, and real stories. Of late, I've probably more into the NFL stuff. Yeah. I, I watch yeah. heaps of docos on I love those docos that follow teams through a season. I love watching um, NFL coaches around how they how they do things. Um, that's probably my biggest influence at the moment. Um, most of it, I think, just comes from 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 coaches you've worked under or or um, have seen operate. Um, I was lucky as a younger coach. Yeah, I, I got to to see a lot of good operators work. And um, Andy Friend was always. A massive mentor for me. He sort of we went through the Waratah system together. Then we both went overseas. He came back and took over the Brumbies. I, I followed him into that. Um, he was a, an amazing mentor for me, not just in the X's and O's, but 
just in how to treat people and, and how to carry yourself as a person. And so that was, he was a massive mentor. Um, and I think now I just, I guess people go, what's your philosophy or what you, what drives you? I, I believe I, I try and stick by the thing. If I can be honest and, and passionate and you constantly be those two things that, um, yeah, you'll do all right. You may not be the best coach or there'll be people that are technically stronger or, more innovative or all those things but if I can be the most if I can be the most honest and the most passionate I'll uh, I'll be starting from a good spot absolutely absolutely now with a um, young family uh, growing older and you obviously popped up at a few coaching jobs and they've probably experienced life in different parts of Sydney they're all along for the adventure that they, they enjoyed sort of you know moving around and obviously stability is one thing and obviously the stresses of the season but um you know, uh, they must be enjoying the experience as well in, in, in some aspects, maybe not in others. Is it a challenge in that respect? Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's um, – yeah, I'm, I'm lucky. I've got a very supportive wife. She uh, She's well, not from a footy family. When I, I told her dad, who's an old Italian guy, that um, I was – he thought I coached the Broncos, not the Brumbies. So he, he sort of he gets his <laughs> he gets his. He's not a big rugby fan. They're not big sports people at all. Um, but she's very. But you was disappointed the first game at Suncorp. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Where, where yeah. is Darren? <laughs> he wasn't too far off. It was a horse, and it was a B and R. So I get where he, I get I get the confusion. Um, she does, yes, yeah, but like any, I guess it's any wife. She doesn't get how involved you she's like how the hell can you be still looking at or, or thinking footy at 2am and when yeah. it engulfs you it engulfs you but I guess my biggest pride and joy is my boy I got a seven-year-old boy Jakey and uh he's uh, he's mad for his footy he, and he'll sit there and he'll yeah. watch video with me he, he gets a bit confused what jersey to put on and who to support and he was a uh, if you if you look at the the photo of Sam Ward and, and Hamish Angus lifting the shoot shield. There's a in the bottom left. There's a, a kid in a rats jersey with a yellow trumpet um, blowing it, and that's my boy. <laughs> he snuck his way up onto the dais, and and um, yeah, he, he's amazingly passionate. When Jackie Grant scored that that try to knock us out last year, Jack used to babysit my boy Jake when we when I coached at East. I became good friends with the Grants, and Jack had babysit my kids and. Um, he knocked us out of that that um, that semi final that week before the semi last year, and mm. Jake was just in tears. He wouldn't talk to Jack, and he hated him. And <laughs> so, <laughs> Mate, yeah, I love he's, it. He's a very passionate kid. He loves his footy, and and uh, yeah, I hope he gets half the enjoyment I get out of the game. Mate, that's gold. And I love to hear stories about that with the kids because at shoot shield level, it really does matter. And I, I think that's what you know, Australian rugby is looking for at the moment is that real level of fandom and, and spirit that exists in the competition. And, and you know, it's, it's been great to see it so alive. I mean, how much are you missing not playing footy at the moment? Yeah, it's it gets to you. Like, I'm a shoot shield tragic. Like, I love – I'm so excited going to bed on a Friday night. I have a couple of sneaky schooners and you go to bed knowing how good's tomorrow going to be when you – you get up early. You're down there at ten thirty. You're watching the fourth graders warm up, and and it's just a it's just a great day. And and because I've been around a few clubs now, and I've been around a bit, yeah, you know, so many people from the other clubs, and it's mm-hmm. and and obviously as a coach, there's a bit of anxiety and a bit of stress during the day, but you knock over a few beers after it during the speeches, and 
mate, yeah, I, I can't wait for our first Saturday of footy. I, yeah, just getting there early and watching every game and, and chatting to people and, and, and riding the highs and the lows. It's it's really awesome. It, it's the highlight of, of my week and my year and can't wait for it to kick off again. Absolutely. I'm sure we all can't. Mate, I appreciate your time today. Um, it's great having a yarn. I uh, Before you go, though, just got to do the fast five. Okay. So you ready? Okay. Yeah, no, I've, I've enjoyed it and I reckon what you're doing, Bojo, with – Keeping people engaged and all this, it's just awesome. I know there's a lot of people that, that, that are listening to it and and uh, it's, it's a great job. Keep it up. Thanks, mate. Okay, number one, who has the best post-game function in the shoot shield? Oh, got to be the rats. They get the band cranking out the back there after a win. It's, it's a ripping day, ripping night. It's pretty, it is pretty good. Two, best place for a holiday? Oh, I'm a beach guy. So, yeah, bar, uh, Fiji, something like that, that'd be me. Beautiful. Um, what autobiography have you just recently read? Yeah, I've been an old leaguey. I, I like the Royce Simmons autobiography. Royce Simmons, Royce Simmons. one of my dad. Yeah, is an old one for the tragics. Beautiful. Um, greatest achievement as a coach? Yeah, I'd, I'd have to be the 217 Rats. Yeah, definitely. Who will Gordon beat in the grand final this year? Oh, I'm hoping it's East, just because Paulie's me, me good mate, and I wouldn't mind him having a good season, just not that good. Love it. DC, thanks so much for spending time. We'll see you throughout the season. Good on you, Bojo. Keep up the good work. Cheers, mate. Yeah, that's all right. I think it's a bit of a bit of a thing going on, but it's, it's not, not too bad. Think it... It's not this, is it? No, no, it's more that's of a, a flicking. That's a bug. Keep talking. Code. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I might have to put that party. <laughs> oh, let's go. Let's go.